Hello, I'm Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, my colleague, Dr. Simon Parsons, is going to explore the concept of difficult patients. Simon, it's often been said that dentistry would be a whole lot easier to do if we worked on phantom head rather than on real people. But since that's not an option for any of us after we leave dental school, the problem of dealing with humans and not just their teeth and gums still remains. So how might we identify and then manage those patients who are going to prove to be difficult for us to manage? Are there any telltale signs that might help us? And when do we decide to call it a day, if at all? It goes without saying that nasty, uncooperative or chronically unreliable patients, as well as those who are rude, arrogant or downright pushy, are the ones you become quickly aware of and can therefore be wary of. You know the type. You see their names on your day sheet and the hair rises on your neck. You already know they might be trouble. Over my 30 years of clinical practice, I've found that not all such difficult patients are quite as obvious. The others tend to more subtly portray some or all of the traits of inappropriate behaviour, awkward communication, over-familiarity and cost-consciousness. These can be signposts of often deep-seated and unhelpful attitudes, beliefs and values, and predictors of trouble down the line, unless you deal with it early. So who exactly are these patients who might prove to be a problem for us over time and how will we recognise them? The first group are perhaps those patients with an egocentric, narcissistic streak and very specific notions of their own self-image. They may be on a conquest to better themselves and see perfect teeth as part of their route to achieving perfection. This can occur at all life stages or be projected from others Who hasn't treated a child whose parent expects the child's teeth to be perfect and wants whatever is necessary to be done to achieve this, while little Johnny is a total handful in the chair and would never be cooperative for any such treatment plan, especially if it will involve major restorative work or orthodontics? Perhaps the parent wants their 10-year-old's teeth whitened, or your 75-year-old patient wants veneers on the upper and lower anterior teeth and has indicated that he or she will soon be having a facelift. I've encountered both. So beware, anything short of perfection will end up as rework, referral at your own expense, or regulatory action if your patient feels your skills are not up to the standard they expected. You need to trust your instincts and ask yourself whether you can realistically satisfy the demands of these patients. If you have any uncertainty, you are better off not treating them and explaining that you believe their specific needs will be best managed by someone with greater experience and skills in the required area. Yes, I certainly recognise those patients, Simon. Can you give us some more examples? Another red flag is the patient who seems to treat all service providers as lackeys, talking to you and your staff as if you will be expected to perform whatever you are told to do. Often this means that they expect you to be available at their beck and call rather than being prepared to be flexible and fit in with your schedule too. I've had patients who have expected to be seen on a particular day 
at a particular time and when this wasn't available due to an existing booking have bluntly asked me why the patient in that time slot can't be shifted to allow them to then be seen. Somewhat oddly, they might even bring you a gift, such as a bottle of wine, for no obvious reason. Be mindful that these patients may do this so that you feel a sense of obligation to help them later on when they make a request outside the normal professional boundaries. How do you say no to this patient when they then ask you to slip something through on their daughter's health fund instead of their own? Yet, you must say no to any such request, and this can make the dynamic then very awkward. So you will need to ask yourself, am I comfortable being in a subordinate role in this professional relationship? Am I being manipulated? And if you feel this relationship is unhealthy, like any relationship, you will need to take some decisive action. It may be as simple as politely declining a gift from them, explaining that you are uncomfortable but very appreciative of their gesture. But there are other ways too, which I'll try to touch on later. That sounds a lot like coercive control rather than a healthy therapeutic relationship. What then about the patient who behaves as if they are your only patient? Yes, they email you or call your mobile number on weekends or at other inconvenient times, seeking either an instant free diagnosis and advice or to have you make them an appointment rather than going online or calling the practice. They will miss routine recall appointments and attend only for emergency visits, then expect or demand you to do a checkup while they're in your chair, simply because they are there now and they don't really care if that might make you then run late. Any such patient will be likely to cause you risk through your interactions with them, so beware. These risks may include a failure to diagnose because you're in a rush dealing with them, they ask you so many questions, you didn't have time to obtain financial consent, just for starters. You also know deep down that once you agree to doing this once, they will expect you to do it next time. You'll find it harder to say no. I would suggest on this note that if you're going to release your contact details to a patient or appease them as a one-off by fitting them in, that you set very clear boundaries up front. Can you give me an example? Certainly. You could perhaps say, I'm giving you my mobile number in case you encounter any severe bleeding, swelling or pain that the tablets don't relieve you from in those wisdom tooth sites over the next 48 hours. Some pain and swelling tonight and tomorrow are to be expected, as is some minor oozing. You should only call me if you are feeling unwell, can't stop some bleeding or are running a fever. Otherwise, there's absolutely no need to call me if you are experiencing the normal range of symptoms I've described after having oral surgery. Or you might say, John, I realise that you're travelling overseas next week and want to know if all is fine in your mouth, so I will do your checkup for you today, although we don't have a full allocation of time. May I kindly ask you to tell us next time when booking your appointment if you want to add a checkup so that we can ensure there's plenty of time to complete everything for you? I don't want to let you down. And I also don't want to run late for my other patients. Boundary setting can be so helpful in so many ways, can't it? And those who don't want to respect your boundaries may in fact choose to go elsewhere, which in itself can solve the potential problem waiting to happen for you. Agreed. You might also start to notice some other red flags from patients who will prove to be difficult. They'll decide when they are due for an appointment, cancel at short notice, turn up late, citing an important meeting they simply had to attend, or repeatedly reschedule as, in their own minds, there is not going to be any consequence for failing to have their treatment done 
in a timely manner. Often they see your professional time and opinion as to what's best as expendable compared to their own social or work commitments or views. If any patient of yours behaves like this, I'd recommend that you keep detailed documentation about all missed, cancelled and rescheduled appointments and follow-up appointments and instructions in writing where possible. To help mitigate the risk of later allegations of supervised neglect or inappropriate management of their ongoing care. How about patients then who believe they know better than we do? You will always encounter patients who feel they know more about dentistry than you do. They may have used Dr. Google, consulted a neighbour or relative, or simply are intelligent and well read. The last group can be a, a real joy to treat and be professionally rewarding to work on, but they can still have very high expectations, both in terms of provision of the treatment and also its longevity. Your challenge with these people is to check knowledge and understanding. Ask them what they understand in their own words about the treatment they seek to have done and why they want to have it done. This will allow you to know how much more information needs to be shared to correct any false assumptions while still acknowledging your patient's efforts to try to be well informed. What about people who challenge our fees? It goes without saying that any patient who quibbles over your fees or wants opinions about which country is the best for their future dental tourism is likely to resist your treatment plans delay them, or try to negotiate compromise treatment that may have inferior outcomes. We always recommend that you resist compromising the standard of your care for your patients. If a patient does not want appropriate treatment, it is better to do no treatment at all and refer them for another opinion or to a tertiary teaching hospital for treatment if eligible, then place ill-advised temporaries, such as five surface GICs on upper anterior teeth that are virtually carious root stumps and then have the patient return repeatedly for repairs with an expectation that this work will be covered under an implied warranty. Finally, there may be patients who want to know a lot about you, what you do socially, your background, where you live and the like. Patients can feel that since you know a lot about them, they deserve to know a lot about you. Overfamiliarity like this is risky as it transgresses not only your own sense of privacy, but also potentially what could be construed as appropriate professional boundaries, blurring them so that you are a friend and a clinician and are then more obliged to give them whatever they want. Don't get me wrong, often we treat friends and family where this wouldn't be an issue, or we may have patients who we've treated for decades, if you're older like me, and for whom we have formed a sort of mutual professional affection towards each other. That's all fine. But if the professional relationship feels awkward or inappropriate, trust your instincts and consider resetting boundaries around appropriate behaviours and conversations. So I'm sensing then that setting boundaries is a really good way to manage these difficult patient interactions. Yes, I see your choice of strategies with difficult patients as being to educate, empower or evict. Sometimes you'll need more than one approach or choose to do them sequentially. Boundary setting is an educative option. So if your patient calls you on your mobile on the weekend over something trivial, it is critical that you thank them but steer them down the right path, such as by saying, oh, I'm so sorry, John, but as I'm not at the practice on Sunday mornings, there's no way I can make you your next dental appointment. You will need to call the practice during business hours to make any of your future appointments as our security and privacy provisions don't allow us remote access. Why don't you give Jenny a call after 8am on Monday? She knows my schedule better than I do, and I'm sure she will help you. 
What you're doing here is identifying the difficult attitude or behaviour and informing your patient of alternative options which are more suitable in this situation. You're not leaving it to chance for them to infer or find an alternative. You may also be educating them about general levels of decorum. That makes sense. Can you explain in a little bit more detail what you mean about the three options? In terms of education, both preemptive and experiential learning can be helpful. By preemptive, I mean that we need to inform our patients through discussion, pamphlets, consent documentation, and web links about what we do, why we do it, what alternatives exist, and so on. We could validate our professional qualifications by having them on display. We need to have our privacy, cancellation, and payment policies clearly displayed on our practice websites and in the practice. We need to remind our patients that while we'd love to be able to see them at the drop of a hat, we are very busy and in demand, and hence can only see emergencies during allocated emergency slots or if we have cancellations. All of these tactics help to preset expectations and define what we believe to be acceptable behaviour at our practices. If you do this, you leave less to chance and you may draw difficult patients out of the woodwork, so to speak, as these patients may be inclined to query or challenge an aspect of your practice in advance. This is ultimately helpful as it will allow you to identify the problematic patient a bit sooner, often prior to embarking on a long treatment plan, which you might otherwise regret having started. When we think about experiential learning, you've probably treated patients before who have never had any other experience about root canal therapies and hence haven't appreciated their complexity and are amazed and so much more respectful of your skills when they see and experience what you have done during a preparation appointment. As our patients learn more about what we're doing for them, our commitment to manage them professionally and in an orderly manner, they're likely to become more respectful, courteous and compliant. In effect, we train them on the job to become the sorts of patients we want them to be. If we're lucky, our goodwill towards them will be reciprocated and they will subconsciously pick up cues from us through our own role modelling of appropriate behaviour as the perceived head of the team. Our staff will reinforce positive experiences and check and clarify any misunderstandings about policies, appointments and punctuality. It's fair to say, though, that some people learn much faster than others. For those who don't seem to get the message quickly or who don't reciprocate kindness and cooperation, you can choose to persevere along an educative path or explore positive reinforcement and empowerment. We all know how motivating and affirming our praise to our patients for improving their oral hygiene can be. In a similar vein, you can consider empowering your patients by thanking, praising and reinforcing small improvements in their behaviours. This may be as simple as saying something like, Thank you so much for being early to your appointment. It really helps me to have enough time to look after you and answer any questions you may have. Is this the best time of the day for you from now on? Do you think you can educate and empower at the same time? You can. For example, I tell my crown patients that if their temporary crown falls off more than 48 hours before their issue appointment, that they need to call the practice and talk to me so that I can explore with them whether they need to come in for it to be replaced. I'm giving them permission to disturb me. Ironically, so often when we do this, we don't find that we get disturbed. But by doing it, I'm empowering my patient to check 
if he or she has a concern. And then I'm collaborating with them to ensure that there aren't any mishaps when the time does come to fit the crown. Similarly, I empower my regular patients to see me typically every six months, or if I'm booked out too far ahead, to see one of my trusted colleagues, in which case I mention that colleague by name. That's because often they only want to see the one dentist and worry that it will be an act of disloyalty to see someone else or that they won't be looked after as well as they've become used to. Giving patients solutions to future issues, such as your permission to have their treatment shared with other practitioners, can really help them to be less difficult and demanding as they're more inclined to respond favorably to a collaborative approach that has shared values and goals. Of course, not all patients will respond favorably, even to these tactics. If so, you will need to consider evicting them if they persist in being difficult. This is your option where the professional relationship is toxic or unacceptably risky, rather than someone just needing a mouth prop to keep their mouth open, for instance. Perhaps you've tried to re-educate and reinforce appropriate behaviours, but nothing has changed. And if anything, your patient is more difficult than ever before. Or perhaps this patient is a new patient, but your instincts tell you that one or more attitudes or behaviours will put any ongoing relationship into a zone of conflict. If this is the case, you are best to initiate a constructive handover of the patient through referral to another practitioner. To not do so will leave you vulnerable to frustration, FTAs, and fatigue. You're welcome to contact us at Dental Protection if you need assistance with how best to move a difficult patient on. So when then do you pull the plug on treating a patient, Simon, or to coin your phrase, a victim? Is it ever too soon? My own view is that we do need to trust our instincts or our radar, whatever you want to call it, and the sooner we do it, the better. Sometimes you get a feeling that a patient isn't wanting to be difficult or perhaps just had bad experiences in the past. You read them as not meaning to be annoying or awkward. If so, they are likely to come around over time. And that's where education, empowerment, positive reinforcement, and all the other approaches can be worthwhile exploring. On the other hand, the patient to whom you take an instant dislike or who you find to be rude, aggressive, racist, or otherwise offensive in some way. That sort of patient may well be the sort of person who you really don't need in your practice. He or she is better off being referred elsewhere and the sooner the better. So if you're getting the feeling that a patient may be a problem experience for you and pose you risk, please call us at Dental Protection to talk through your issues and explore how best you might manage the situation. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for that relevant and helpful content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast has been helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.